0: Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word once again as we gather together in your name with the intentions of seeking you, seeking what you desire for us, seeking your will Lord, and you communicate to us in various ways, but the chief, the primary way that you communicate to us, and the most clearly, really, is through your word, through the scriptures. So we look to it tonight. We look to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, knowing that you have ordained this chapter for this night, for this gathering, uh, understanding that you have real words of encouragement and exhortation for individuals in this room uh, tonight. And so we give you this time, Holy Spirit, guide and direct us, be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we continue in this new series, First Thessalonians, that we've called The Return of the King. Any Lord of the Rings fans? Come on. Yeah. It's funny when we, so we were trying to think of what we would title this series, JD and I, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, you know, it talks about Jesus every chapter. And in my head, I'm like, the return of the king. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, nah, that'd be dorky. And then JD's all, dude, the return of the king. And I was like, what? I was like, yeah, I guess we're doing it. We're doing it. We're going for it. So 1 Thessalonians, the return of the King. And as we read through this book, it's really clear that the Holy Spirit has put the return of Jesus fresh on the heart and mind of Paul as he writes this book. As I said, every chapter in this book alludes to the return of Christ. It's very significant. And you understand why, because what better way to encourage a church and say, hey, you guys are doing an amazing job following the Lord. Jesus is coming back soon, and His reward is with Him. We actually saw that in chapter 1. He was encouraging them. What better way to comfort a hurting church than to remind them, hey, hang in there. Jesus sees what you're going through, and He's coming back soon. We'll actually see that in chapter 4. And of course, what better way to exhort a church and challenge them, hey, you need to start making some changes. You need to start doing these things right because the Lord is watching, and He will come at an hour you do not expect if you're not ready for him. The return of Christ is a very crucial doctrine that we should keep in the forefront of our minds to have the right perspective. And that's why Paul uses this throughout the book of First Thessalonians as he encourages them, as he exhorts them, as he comforts them. Paul also knew that as we wait for Jesus' return, the most important thing that we should be doing with our time here on earth is spreading the gospel message. Building the kingdom of God. Paul is a man who gave everything he had in order to further the gospel. He was all in. He devoted every aspect and detail of his life to making Jesus known, to furthering the gospel, to seeing souls saved. Can I ask you, where is preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel on your priorities list in life? Where would that fall? It's not always readily at the top, is it? Like it should be. How much, here's another question, how much does the salvation of others affect the decisions you make in your life day to day? Or affect the large decisions that you make? What are you going to do for a career? Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? How much does the most important aspect of our, of our lives, the salvation of others, how much of that does, does that affect your decisions that you make? Obviously, it should be our number one goal. It should be the number one motivation behind everything that we do. And I want to tell you guys, I want to encourage you, there is no greater calling than to be about the building of God's kingdom, to be about the gospel message, representing it, getting it out, helping other people get it out. There is no higher calling on your life. There is no greater purpose you could serve on earth Next to arguably just glorifying God, but what better way to glorify God than to further the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, we all need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this regularly. And it's probably why I'm preaching this so hard too because as I sat preparing this message, just to be totally candid with, it, with you as a pastor, it's easy for me to be like, well, you know, I preached two weeks ago. I'm good. You know, I can, I can be quiet right now as they're talking about Jesus because I preached last week. I've done lots of missions trips Overseas, I've spent weeks on the streets playing music and proclaiming the gospel to strangers. I've seen uh, antagonistic people. I've seen people be receptive. I've seen people come to the Lord. And it could be really easy for me to be like, nah, I, I paid my dues. Like I preached the gospel. But no, like we all need reminded of this regularly. That this should be a priority every day that we live until we go home to be with the Lord. And tonight, we're going to focus as we look at this text primarily on how to properly represent the gospel as we seek to share it. That's really the purpose this chapter is going to serve us tonight. Now, in a biblical, the biblical term for this is your witness, as in someone who is testifying in court. And we are to testify that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the world, that Jesus is the Christ. We are to witness to others and be a witness that Jesus is, in fact, the Savior of the world, risen from the dead, crucified for the sins of the world, and raised from the dead. We are to be his witnesses. And Paul, in this chapter, he is reminding the Thessalonians of his witness while he was in their midst. As he tried to convert them and share the good news of Jesus, he reminds them of how he conducted himself, and in doing so gives us a great chapter on how we ought to conduct ourselves because the world is watching. Because we want to have an effective witness as we serve this purpose and further the kingdom of God. So for those of you who are taking notes, we're going to write down six characteristics of an effective witness. There are lots more, but we're going to glean six out of this chapter. So let's jump into chapter one, or uh, verse one, chapter two. It says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain He said, it wasn't a waste of time, it was effective. Our witness was effective when we came to you, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So the first characteristic of an effective witness for Jesus is Boldness is boldness. You can under, if you've got a Bible, underline that. We had boldness in our God. Notice it wasn't boldness in themselves. It was boldness in the God that they were representing. And immediately when I read this, as I was studying, I thought of King David when he stood before Goliath. Do you remember when David was talking trash to Goliath? He didn't run out there like, oh, you better watch out, Goliath, because... I can throw some rocks. You know, my grandpa says I'm the best in town. Watch out. You know, here it comes. He didn't have confidence in himself, though he could have. He was an amazing rock slinger or whatever you would call, call that. I don't know. But he came out, and as he was talking trash to Goliath, he said, hey, you come at me with a sword and a spear. I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Basically, the, the God who is in charge of the armies of heaven is on my side. And he said, he's going to deliver you into my hands and I'm going to chop your head off. You know that scene in, in uh, I don't, one of the Wolverine movies where his brother's like, do you even know how to kill me? And Wolverine's like, I'm going to cut your head off and see if that works. He, he totally stole that line from David because David's like, I'm going to cut your head off, Goliath. He had boldness and confidence, but it was in the God that he was serving. And so guys, as we, as we seek to have boldness in our faith, Boldness in sharing. We don't go out thinking we're going to chop people's heads off, obviously, but we go out with the confidence in who our God is. And if you don't have confidence in God, it's really let me tell you, it's really simple. You just need to get to know God. Get to know Him for who He is. The living God, think about this, He is ever-present. He's everywhere. He is almighty. He is all-powerful, omnipotent. God is omnipotent. Oh, I already used that one. Omnipotent, omnipotent is another word to, to say, another way to say omnipotent. What was the other one? Omni, omnipresent, omniscient, omniscient. Thank you. God is all knowing. See, I need to get to know him better, I guess. God is also all knowing. He knows every single thing that ever can happen, ever did happen, and ever could happen. Isn't that crazy? And he is the creator of the universe. And this God is on your side as you step out and represent him. This God is on your side as you seek to share Christ. And I think that's something we need reminded of regularly. I'm going to say it again so it really penetrates our hearts and minds. The God of the armies of heaven is on your side when you step out to share Jesus with other people. We, have, we can have boldness in God. Paul alludes here to the persecution that they faced in Philippi. And it's recorded in Acts 16. And he, he talks about how they went to Philippi, they shared the gospel. A lot of people received it. But the religious Jews were having none of it. And so they, they stirred up the crowds. They got Paul uh, and Silas arrested. They were flogged with, with rods, just beaten in their back. They're bloody and bruised. And then they were thrown into prison where they would be put into stocks laying on their backs with their feet in their hands. It would have been a very painful position but feet and hands in these stocks. That was the condition in Philippi. They basically limp their way to the next town and Thessalonica is one of the next towns they go to. So they're literally walking into Thessalonica beaten, bloodied, and bruised. And Paul says look at us. Did it slow us down? It didn't slow us down. He says we were willing to suffer the same things and even worse to bring you the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring you the good news. They had boldness. They weren't afraid to suffer persecution to advance the gospel. So, number one, we should have boldness, boldness in our God. Verse three, he goes on, he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Now, the apostle had to defend himself a lot because he had a lot of critics, people who hated him, who'd say all these bad things. So you find him in all these epistles, oftentimes having to defend his ministry because his ministry represented the gospel he preached. And so he's defending his witness and the gospel he was testifying to. And he gives us these three things. He says, we were none of these things, but this is a list of things that will disqualify your witness if you have these things, if you carry these things. And these are also sure signs of false prophets. He says, error. We did not come to you in error. The idea behind this word is to mislead or trying to lead someone in error down the wrong path. He said, we didn't come in error. We didn't come with impurity. The idea there is that your, your motives were fleshly. Your motives were impure. You, you wanted to share... Because it got you notoriety, it made you look cool, it made you look good. You wanted to share because you wanted to try to get money from them. You wanted to share because you thought they were attractive and you wanted to try to get closer. These are all impure motives, right? These are impure motives. And then, he, of course, deceit. He said, we weren't deceptive when we came to you. We weren't trying to trick you. We weren't trying to lie to you. And guys, as we share with others, I don't know if you've ever gone street witnessing or just had conversations with people, but I hope that as we do share with people, that they never walk away feeling tricked or manipulated or like you were trying to take advantage of them somehow. We already have a bad rap as Christians because there's enough uh, men out there and women who will try to uh, scam people with, in the name of Jesus. And it's really a shame. But may that not be so among us. I've gone out with people who are you know really gifted evangelists, but a lot of evangelists, they have their shtick. They have their, kind of their little spiel that they like to do. And I feel like sometimes I've gone out there and I've sensed, as I've watched someone go through their little spiel, their little routine, it, it, it does feel a little heartless and a little manipulative. Like They're, they're, they're going to figure out how to trip these guys up in their words and make them look stupid and then share Christ with them after making them feel like they're idiots. And I'm like, man, I don't know that that's the most effective way. May people not feel manipulated by us. Paul will recall how his witness was the antithesis of these things, and and we'll see it right here. Verse 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's a great verse with regards to witnessing for Christ. But if you want to know how Paul was able to live with the gospel as his number one priority, the answer is right there. He was entrusted with the gospel. Paul truly believed that God had entrusted him with the responsibility to share the gospel. Paul Paul knew and understood that he was called by God to share the gospel. Are you a Christian? Are you a part of the church, the true church? You have been entrusted That's number two. An effective witness acknowledges God's call to share the gospel. You acknowledge it. You hear it and you obey it. You live in that way. I feel like we often have the wrong idea though about this call to share the gospel, how we've been entrusted with it. Um, You know when you get a, a letter and it's addressed to the former resident of your house? This guy Gene Wilde, I keep getting his mail. I'm like, dude, you know, for, Address forwarding services, let's do this. Come on. And I got to tell you, how excited are you when you get that letter to make sure that, re, that former resident really gets it? Uh, not really. I'm not. You know, I got to get my pen out and write not at this address and take it all the way down back to my mailbox. I got to drive to my mailbox. I can't just walk out. I'm, some of you snobs, you can just walk out your front door. I got to drive down the street. So I'm like, man, I'm really not that excited about get, making sure this guy gets his, his, his subscription to Fox News or whatever, whatever it was. I'm just like, man, I'm not that crazy about it. And I feel like sometimes that's how we treat the call to share the gospel. It, we don't really have a sense that we've been entrusted with a, a real responsibility. Let me give you another example. Think of the soldier out on the battlefield receiving a letter from his dying comrade His last words to his wife and kids as he dies in battle. Now, you better believe that soldier will be very motivated to make sure that letter reaches its recipients. Why? Because that is an important letter, that is a sacred letter. And that man or woman would know that and would have urgency and motivation to make sure that they received that letter. And really, that's how we should treat the gospel. How much more significant is the gospel? How much more sacred and important is the letter from God, the message from God that saves people from their sin and saves them from an eternal hell? It's very, very important, guys. We've been entrusted with this, and Paul understood that. Every day, Paul lived like that. Now, think about it God could have easily spread the gospel message any other way, he could have done it himself. He could have sent the, his, his angel armies to go do it. In fact, he will in Revelation send a few angels to preach the gospel in the sky. It says it's pretty, pretty cool. But he, that's not how he's chosen to do it right now in this church age. He could have wrote the message in the clouds or like made little gospel fairies to fly around and share the gospel. Any, any other way, he could have done it. But he chose to use you. He chose to use me. The church is the primary vessel through which the gospel is to be communicated. The chief vessel through which the gospel is to be communicated. The church. The local church. Now, you might say, well, I don't have that gift. I can't. You know, I don't have the boldness. It doesn't matter. Everybody is called to verbalize the gospel. And And I encourage you, if you're not sure what to say, practice it. Preach the gospel to yourself. Practice what you would say to people. Think about it in your head because it's so important. And it's okay if you don't have the gift. Some people really do have the gift and they have that boldness almost naturally. They can go out and talk to people and share the gospel with that boldness. And you know what? Support them. In fact, it's another reason why it's so important to financially support the work of the gospel in your community. It's so important. God doesn't need your money, but it's a huge aspect of furthering it. We ought to prioritize sharing the gospel. And and God deserves, this mission deserves our time, our treasure, and our talent. All of that. Verse 5. It says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He's like, hey, we didn't come in tickling your ear and making you feel all special to manipulate you. We didn't come in with like this scheme again to get rich off of you guys or to make demands as apostles like, do you know who I am? I rubbed shoulders with Peter himself last week. We were in the back green room eating donuts together and having important (laughs) spiritual conversations. Like He he wasn't pulling that at all. It it wasn't about their status. It wasn't about their notoriety. It wasn't about what they could get from it. But rather, he says, verse 7, we were gentle among you. We weren't manipulative. We weren't tricksters. We weren't selfish. And we certainly weren't trying to lord over you. But rather, we came to you gently. We were gentle among you. Now, the word here, This this word, this particular word gentle, in this verse can also be translated infant. We were like infants among you. We came and we were so clean shaven in your midst. Like baby faces. No, it wasn't like that. the, The idea here is that they were harmless in their midst. They were harmless before these guys. Now it doesn't mean that we are harmless, especially you men. I hope you're not harmless. But it, it, it carries the idea that we don't intend to harm anyone. That as we interact with people, what, we, what they perceive through our body language, through our, through our words, is that we don't intend to hurt them or harm them. We are gentle among them. All of us. The tone of our voice, the, the, the body language, if you have any hostility when you're trying to represent Christ, it can really harm things for you. It can really wreck things. For you, uh, I don't know how well sharing the gospel with somebody when you got your knife pulled out or a gun pulled—probably not, probably not going to work out very well, right? Gentle, he says, we were gentle in your midst. Now, when I say gentleness, I don't know if that's one of the first things that pops into your head when it comes to Christian conduct. But I'm going to read you a few verses here, and I'm kind of rapid fire. And at the end of this list, I think you'll have an idea that it should be at the top of our list when we think of. Walking Christ like. Jesus himself said, Be gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. One of, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. James tells us wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, willing to yield. The Bible tells us an overseer, a bishop, a pastor, must be gentle. If you're not gentle, you're disqualified. That's a pretty big deal. A servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but gentle. Speak evil of no one, but be peaceable and gentle. If someone sins, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. God's watching. and He's coming back. Therefore, be gentle. And in case you didn't get it, in case you were wondering, when should I be gentle? To whom should I be gentle? Titus really like puts the nail in the coffin with this one. He says, always be gentle to everyone. (laughs) Pretty encompassing. Gentleness is pretty important. If we want to be effective witnesses for Christ, we must exercise gentleness. Meekness is a good way to understand that. Maybe you have the ability to make someone look stupid. Maybe you have the ability to make someone feel uncool or insignificant. That doesn't mean you should. We can be be violent with more than just our actions physically. Are you a social bully? If someone makes you uncomfortable, maybe you feel like they're, they're less than you socially. Are you still gentle towards them on a social level when you communicate with them? Let your gentleness be known. Always be gentle to everyone. He said, we came to you in gentleness. Gentleness. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. Our hope is that through this ministry, your heart would be ignited to live boldly for Christ. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 and 28, we wanna invite you out to join us in person. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway in Camino Seco. We hope to see you there. God bless.